I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Hello and welcome to Gardening with the RHS. I'm Chris Young. Do you use much plastic in your garden? What about pots, compost bags, horticultural fleece, netting? Gardeners are often seen as guardians of green space, lovers of nature and protectors of plants. But the many ways we use this material, plastic, is an issue that gardeners need to address. There are about 500 million plastic pots in circulation, yet only one-third of rigid plastic is ever recycled. And most plastics aren't biodegradable, meaning they stay in our oceans, on our beaches, in landfill and littering our landscapes for hundreds of years. Millions of animals are killed by the stuff every year, from birds to fish to other marine organisms. Which is why we're dedicating today's show to tackling the curse of plastic. This isn't about making us all feel guilty. Plastic has been fantastic for many uses and for many years. But rather, we wanted to have a proper discussion about it, to learn about options for not using plastic, and to see what the latest thinking in alternatives is. Joining me is RHS advisor Becky Mealy and Sally Nex, author of How to Garden the Low Carbon Way, who's been on her own journey to eliminate plastic in her garden. Hello, Becky. Hello, Sally. Hello, Chris. Later in the show, we'll hear about the RHS's efforts to go plastic-free. And in our weekly Grow Your Own Food feature, we'll talk about successional sowing and how to reduce plastic use throughout the process. So, let's set the scene a bit. We're using quite broad terms here when we say plastics, but there are different types and some are more easily recyclable than others. So, Becky... I'm now out of my depth on my plastic knowledge. I'm coming to you. Tell us, what are the different types of plastic out there and what are they used for? There's quite a few and and it is very confusing. It's all about knowing your numbers and knowing which one of those numbers can be recycled. So number one is polyethylene terephthalate. That's your fizzy drinks bottles, your water bottles and then the salad trays that you get in the supermarket. Number two is your high-density polyethylene. That is a kind of a harder plastic, and that's your plant pots, that's your watering cans, detergent bottles, milk bottles, and that's HDPE. Then you've got three, which is PVC. That's the carpet backing, windows, hose pipes. Number four is your low-density polyethylene. So that's your compost bags, your carrier bags, your bin bags, and that's LDPE in abbreviation. Then number five 
is your polypropylene, which is your black module packs that you have that your seedlings come in, labels are made out of this. Number six is polystyrene. That's the stuff that fall apart when you take it out. And then number seven. Number seven's a weird, strange one because it's it's known as others. So this basically ha- is everything that everybody forgot and just like, mm, that doesn't fit in that group, that doesn't fit in this group. So it has things that some things are recyclable, some things are not, and some things are actually biodegradable in this group. One of the main things that are made out of this plastic that is in the garden is your plastic greenhouses. It's a kind of rigid plastic that's see-through. Okay, so you've given us lots of long words. It sounds like a yeah. Latin lesson in plant yeah. names, um, but also some numbers. And I got one to seven. What are the best numbers we should be looking for? Is it number one? Is that more recyclable? Yeah, so there's stuff that you would normally recycle from your kitchen. So things like number one and number two, they're very much widely recycled and can be put on your curbside for collection. But that includes, number two includes plant pots. It depends on what colour your plant pots are because okay. um, it's been discovered, and this is something that only recently that I've been aware of, that the black plastic pots, the machines don't pick them up. They don't see them on the scanner. So now the industry have been colouring these pots so that then they can actually be seen. And you'll, you'll probably see this with your ready meals that you're getting from the supermarket. They are actually becoming a different colour. So you'll see that um, certain supermarkets have a terracotta colour. OK, so we're going to come on to that because this is a really big topic. So we're looking the lower the number, preferably, which is going to be more common for us that we see on our the materials that we're buying, um, the better. So what plastics should we definitely be avoiding as gardeners? I mean, like, so polystyrene, I think, you know, completely can avoid that one completely because it's single-use plastics. So it's stuff that can't be reused or recycled is the thing that you should really avoid. And then when you have to come to replace something in your garden, say like a watering can, it is looking and saying, actually, I can buy a metal watering can. It's just doing that replacement. It's easy. I mean, I've, I have got plastic in the garden. I do have plastic watering cans. But I've got my little Becky Green list of things that I want to replace in the garden with things that I know I can, and I will. This is fascinating, Becky. So you've told us all these numbers and these abbreviations. How do we actually look for those on the pot? Where are they on the pot and how do we identify them? Sometimes it's not always on there, but majority of the time you find a nice little triangle on the bottom with the arrows going around it and the numbers in the middle of that. And then depending on what kind of packaging it's on, sometimes on your plastic bags, it actually will give you instructions of how it can be recycled. But yeah, it is a definite minefield and it's one where you have to get the glasses out and squint at the number. All right. Thank you. So, Sally, now on to your story. You've been on quite a journey, haven't you, to reduce and uh, eliminate ultimately plastic in your garden. And you've been writing about it for a few years now, including in the Garden Magazine, the RHS member magazine. So what would you say would be the, the first couple of things that you did, Sally? Well, there wasn't a lot I could do to begin with. I started trying to raise my seedlings without using plastic. I'm a vegetable gardener, so I grow a lot of seedlings. And so this was a real priority sort of area for me. And I found that that was actually, as it turned out, the easiest area to get rid of plastic completely. And these days I grow plastic free from sowing right through to planting out. And so do you feel when you're looking back over the last few years now as somebody who's really reducing their plastic use, has it been a detriment to your garden or have you had extra success have you what have you found as the end result not only the action of it but the actual end result of growing 
Well, actually, it hasn't at all been a detriment. At worst, it stayed much the same as it was. The real positive benefit, and this particularly applies to the seed sowing, is that biodegradable is better, which is something that I would never have guessed at unless I'd actually tried it for myself. Because when you use biodegradable materials like paper and cardboard, you're asking the roots to grow straight out of the sides. So they aren't made to Mm. circle in ever tighter little sort of tight knots that you get in plastic. So it means that not only can they breathe, not only can the water flow freely through, but the roots get to develop to their full extent. It's extraordinary. It looks like nothing on earth. When you pick up a seedling that's been raised in biodegradable materials, all these tendrils coming out. It's just like this tangly kind of mass of white roots, twice the size that you would get in plastic. And as soon as you put them in the ground, they're going in the right direction already because they're heading outwards. They're not going round and round. So you don't get any of the establishment and recovery time that you get for plastic. So it means things establish much more quickly. They grow much more healthily. I've had better results. So this is all fascinating and hugely encouraging. I mean, what would you say is practical advice for people? Because there are some pretty daunting numbers out there. We said half a billion plastic pots in circulation and it can take up to 400 years for pots to break down and things. Is this about making conscious decision not to use plastic or is it a step to say, okay, well, I'm only going to use plastic that has been recycled or is recyclable? Can we do those subtle changes as well? Well, I have a real problem with the whole idea about relying too much on recycled plastic anyway. Recycling for me is a little bit problematic. It's better than nothing. It's absolutely better than nothing. It's better than using virgin plastic without a doubt. But the problem with recycling plastic, it's one of the materials that downcycles. So every time you recycle it, it becomes slightly poorer quality. So that means if you have your plant pot today and you put it through recycling, it comes back as the flimsy plastic that you might use for, say, you know, the modules and things. You put that back into the recycling system and it comes back as really fit for nothing better than a carrier bag. You put the carrier bag into the system and then it comes back as something which really is just single film or something, I would imagine. Anyway, eventually, after about three or four times, it's good for nothing at all, and it still ends up in landfill. So I think that the only really, truly sustainable way to go forward is to wean ourselves off plastic wherever possible. It's not always possible, but it is possible in most circumstances, I think. So the million-dollar question, therefore, I have to ask you, is are you 100% plastic-free? No. Nowhere near. (laughs) Oh, thank goodness for that. We can all relax. (laughs) It's okay, Becky. Stay on the line. Stay on the line. Yeah, we can breathe. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) well, I mean, I don't think it's possible. So, for example, at the moment, I've got insect proof mesh over my brassicas. Luckily, it's reusable. It's not single use plastic. I've used mine for must be the best part of 10 years now, year after year after year, and it's still intact. It's still doing its job. But if I ever need any more or if I'm going to replace any of the stuff I've got, then I'm going to give a try for using um, calico or one of the cottony material. I would imagine that that will do much the same job. So there are always ways around it. But yes, I have lots of plastic in my garden and probably will do for years, probably the rest of my life, I suspect. Sadly, thank you. It is fascinating to see that what you have learned, but how you've enthused us all to really make a difference and to actually look at the way that we work in our gardens differently. So we're going to come back to you in a bit. But I'm keen to know what the rest of the horticultural industry is doing to eliminate plastic in their business. So I spoke to Natalie Porter, who's a member of the Horticultural Trades Association, and her family run the Happy Plants Bedding Nursery in Formby on the northwest coast. As an industry, we do consume a massive amount of plastics. 
it's a very difficult problem to negotiate a way away from because of the efficiencies and the machinery that are used on these commercial nurseries. So a lot of the alternatives aren't able to be handled by machinery. And also a lot of the alternatives, when you look into them closely, can be a little bit wolf in sheep's clothing. And you can be moving away from something because it has a limited recyclability or renewability, but you're moving towards something that consumes massive amounts of water or doesn't necessarily have the best ethics behind its production. So it's a difficult one to navigate. And it's one that we've been tackling for the past three years as our main focus project. The first issue I really addressed with plastics was at the Ethan Trade Show in January 2018, where one of the companies came up to us and said, have a look at our new plant pots. They're curbside recyclable. And to me, I was like, hang on, these millions of plant pots we've been using every year, they're not recyclable. And that was the first time I really realized that the black pigment in the plant pots that we were using inhibited them from being able to go through the curbside machinery. You know, the industry in the UK uses 17 plant pots per second year round. Pretty much all of that was doomed to landfill. It it was catastrophic where we were. So it's not a perfect solution, but it's something that we could do quite quickly without affecting any of our machinery was to switch to these pots here. These are made from post-consumer recycled polypropylene. So it's the same plastic, but they don't have the black pigment in there in the first place. So it's a recycled plastic that can be identified by the curbside recycling machinery. So as a sort of an intermediate step, because it isn't just as easy as using biodegradable pots when we have to grow things on for an amount of time on the nursery, we're now 99% of plants that go through the nursery are in a recyclable packaging. The next part of the movement, I mentioned before that we can't use biodegradable pots as yet on the nursery because of how quickly they start to decompose. To be classed as biodegradable, something has to decompose in 12 weeks or show signs of decomposing to be classed as compostable. Most of the plants are on the nursery for that amount of time, so we would basically be sending something in a rotting pot into a garden centre, which isn't very hygienic or aesthetically pleasing. Originally, when we moved to them, and they were only available on large scales, but now they're all available as off-the-shelf purchases. So the minimum order to move your packaging towards a recyclable pack instead of a normal pack is, even for the smallest nurseries, is achievable. If you're not using recyclable packaging, work out why. It's just a real step in the right direction to be doing it and also to be seen to be doing it and make the public aware that they should be asking and calling out their nurseries on why they aren't. I think consumers have a responsibility over the materials that they choose to purchase. If your garden centre isn't using at least recyclable packaging, then you need to call them out on it. It's as much about the reduce and reuse parts of the issue as anything else. So look out for things in recyclable packaging, choose those, and then make sure that you reuse and reuse and reuse the material. And then that recyclability that we've added into the equation and made possible, that's last resort, really. It's great to hear from Natalie Porter. How fascinating to learn of the real challenges a nursery is facing, but the things can be done. As she says, these are steps in the right direction. Becky, not only did Natalie wow us with some figures, that I've never heard the figure that the industry uses 17 plants pots per second, but that to fully understand the problem, like the black pigment not being picked up by curbside recycling facilities, allows us as an industry to be clear on what needs to change. 
Do you think the horticultural industry is doing enough? Actually, listening to that made me quite nostalgic. So when I was 16 and doing works experience from college, I actually worked at a bedding plant nursery. So I've worked on machines like that. I've carried those big trays of bedding. And, and then also the big crash that happened with a Dutch trolley that I just... I don't <laughs> know you if ran away was, from. Yeah, yeah I ran away. Well, yeah, it's a heavy job pushing a Dutch trolley full it of is. bedding. Yeah, with those yeah. small wheels going around, yeah. Anyway, yeah, and that's yeah. it. But... You know, I completely understand the issue with upgrading the machinery, the need for that kind of product to go through the machines. So it's having that product that's capable of doing that like plastic is. But it is good to see the industry is looking at it. And I think there is hope. I think it is changing and the industry is definitely aware of it. Just chatting to Alistair Griffiths the other day, we had him um, a team meeting. He's our director of science. He is our director of science, my boss. And it was very interesting what conversations are being had with the government and stuff. And so change is happening. I think it was just we just need to stay with it and just keep trying to do as much as we can ourselves as well. So Sally, on that point, we know that there are some mail order nurseries who are sending out plants in paper wrapping. So they take the plant out of the plastic pod they might have grown it in, but then send it um, with no plastic, which is great. But it's interesting to hear that Natalie's nursery is using pots that are made of post-consumer recycled material. Do you think it's good enough, really? Oh, And do you think it's time for us to really have some people pressure on garden centres to make this change happen? Well, there's such a lot being done at the moment by the industry to try and change this. It's a, a similar thing with compost, actually. These days, you can get what they call bags for life. It's basically a 50-litre big plastic bag, but it's um, very long-lasting. You'll probably have it for years and years and years. They'll give it to you for a deposit, I believe it is. And you go back and back and back and get it refilled with your branded compost, your favourite branded multipurpose compost, which you can then take home, use, bring the bag back for a refill. It's the same principle as Bags for Life at the supermarket. Why more garden centres aren't doing it, I don't know. And I suspect it's because not enough people know about it and not enough people are asking for it. Thank you. As ever, it's always important that organisations like the RHS make changes too. We're committed to reducing the plastic we use, and over the past few years, we've banned plastic straws, switched to biodegradable packaging in our cafes where possible, and adopted paper wrapping for our magazines from 2018. We've also raised a profile of the issue more, so through The Garden magazine, these podcasts, our website, and the research work we do, and the advice that we give – I really do hope that the plastics issue becomes as important and as topical as peat-free growing media. So, we've talked about reusing plastic in many other aspects of growing, but now, as part of our ongoing series on growing your own food, we're going to hear from advisor Lee Hunt. This week, he's giving us some top tips not only about successional sowing, but how to stop using so much plastic as we do it. Successional sowing is a technique for the vegetable garden and the idea is that rather than sowing something like carrots that mature often all together so you end up with a big glut. We're going to sow them roughly two weeks apart from spring into summer so that we get small amounts maturing at different times meaning that we can enjoy them without having to think I've got to cook a lot of carrot soup this week. Uh, You can just enjoy them at a, a sort of average rate. And that means that you get no gluts, fewer shortages, and also in most cases you'll extend the season as well. So you'll be having some of the plants for much longer. 
We're often looking for successional sowing for things that are what we would term quick maturing. So things like carrots, French beans, peas, salads, they're all great for this kind of sow it every two weeks from when the soil gets warm. So we're often talking early to mid-April. And again, depending on the crops, do check the seed packets because they're great at providing the exact information on this. They'll be often through to later in summer. It's also brilliant for things that bolt. So things like coriander, rocket and spinach, if they start to bolt and go to flower, your crop's finished. So if you make regular sowings, you'd always have some coming on, even if some of your crops go over. And of course, in the height of summer, when it's very warm, that can happen very quickly and catch you out. So it means you've got a more continuous supply. To make this happen, often what we're doing is looking to sow every one to four weeks. So we'll sow a little bit of a row, enough, we think, for a good few meals, depending on how large your family is. And then roughly about two weeks later, you'll sow again. Now, with the weather, it can be hot, it can be cold. So that sometimes means that things grow a little bit irregularly. So if you want to even those crops out even more, we know with things like salads and leafy crops, you can sow a row, wait for those to produce four adult leaves and then sow your next one because that's nature's indicator. Those four adult leaves mean time to sow again. With peas, they need to be about five centimetres or two inches high, so your next crop. And beans, something like French beans, about 10 centimetres high. So that makes it great for just ensuring you're exactly on the money. So if you want to experiment and you've already been doing some successional sowing, that's a way of tightening it up. I know in today's show we're also talking about reducing plastic. So you can sow these successional crops for planting out later by sowing them into pots. But of course, we can use recycled pots. We can make our own paper pots. Anything really that would just give that plant a little start. So if you rummage through your recycling bin, it's bound to be something that you can use to make it so much easier. So successional sowing in summary, that's roughly sowing every two weeks from early spring through to late summer for those quick maturing crops to help you avoid gluts and shortages. Thanks, Lee. So let's finish today by looking at what we can do as gardeners to help reduce our plastic use. Becky, I'm coming to you. What's the one easiest way for gardeners to start reducing their plastic use? I think it's actually just by doing an audit of your garden and actually looking at where you use plastic and what you're doing with your leftover compost bags, what you're doing with your plastic pots, are you reusing them? Are they the right type of plastic? Things that you're reusing. I mean, like Sally, I've got pieces of plastic that are ancient. I've got bubble wrap that's 20 years old and I, I clean it with Jay's fluid and have it on the washing line. So I just make sure that they work and earn their keep. Sally, in your journey of going plastic free, are there a couple of tips or tricks that you've picked up along the way? It's actually delayed gratification is a really good thing. <laughs> Being able to look forward to the plants that you buy because you've had to put it off because you've decided that you're going to buy bare root or that you're going to source it from an online nursery which will supply peat-free and plastic-free. There are an increasing number these days. 
it's not quite the same as going down to a garden centre and picking up what takes your fancy. But to be quite honest, that's what got us into this situation in the first place. So it's much, much better. And to be honest, much more enjoyable if you can just build up your list through the year of all these wonderful plants that you really, really, really want to plant in autumn. And then just go on a massive plant buying splurge in the autumn and have loads of fun, but buy it sustainably without the plastic. This is really interesting, Becky, isn't it? Because I know for years as advisors and when I was editor of The Garden magazine, we were really trying to push autumn planting because somehow many gardeners had forgotten that actually that's a really great time to be planting yeah. plants. And actually, this link that Sally's making between reducing your plastic, going back to bare root and then going back into autumn planting is just so great for gardening. Absolutely. And also I would add to that about spring planting and the fact that if you've got a really wet waterlogged soil, because of what's happening with our climate, we're having some areas that are sitting too wet over winter. And then they, they can't, then can't actually plant in the autumn because then things would die over the winter. So it's changing it for whatever your situation is. But I think we definitely do need to work with more with the seasons. And then obviously that works in with saving plastic. One of the materials we use in the garden, Sally, that people might not always think is as necessarily as plastic is actually fleece. And in these spring mornings when it's pretty cold, you're needing to use your fleece to look after the plants. Tell us about fleece and how plastic based it is. Sure. Well, it was one of those kind of horrible moments when it dawned on me that the fleece that I used, which I thought was just a material, was actually woven polypropylene. And the problem with fleece is that it's a very lightweight material that's a bit prone to being shredded by even quite slight breezes, actually. But as soon as it starts to flap, it shreds. And that means that it's shedding little plastic fibres straight into the ground, straight into the soil, and that's into the wider environment straight away. So, frankly, I refuse to use it. I will not use it. So what I tend to do is I avoid using it altogether by doing things like sowing my new potatoes a little bit later. I don't really mind waiting an extra couple of days for my harvest. You know, that's fine. So I make sure that, you know, I don't have to protect them with fleece. If I'm going to protect plants in the greenhouse, I kind of wait till there's actually frost and then I wrap it in hessian and newspaper and those kinds of things just temporarily, just for a couple of nights and then bring it off, you know, as soon as the weather lifts again. Um, so there's lots of different ways around using it. Becky, I'm thinking about all of my gardening friends and we all have a mountain of black plastic pots. No matter how tidy or clean and neat and sorted we are, we all have a lot of black pots. What do we do with them? I've got the same mountain of black pots in my greenhouse too, but I do sort them, I do clean them and I do reuse them and I reuse them until the point where they're just starting to break and then get rid of them. So I try and use them as much as possible, but also do know when to let go of them when they're actually becoming a problem in themselves. But yeah, it, it is difficult. One more quick question before we move on. Hoses seem to be the really tough one, don't they? Do either of you know of any product that isn't a plastic hose? It's called a metal watering can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I'm oh, never, everyone I'm... loves a smart answer. Oh, I know, I know. I'm sorry. But the fact is that that really is the only alternative. I have to say I will hold my hands up to the fact that I was out with a hose just this morning. I would say, though, if you are going to have a hose... Try not to use a really old hose. This is one of these ones which is slightly difficult from the eco point of view. Because oh, really? Why is older... that? Because it's deteriorating? Yes, because older hoses are made of, oh, crikey, I think it's PVC. Basically, the additive 
that makes a hose flexible is called phthalates in older hoses. And phthalates are known endocrine disruptors and generally not very nice chemicals, and they will leach into the water. And so it's generally not a very good thing to be using, you know, dilute on your garden. But modern hoses are phthalate free. So if you look specifically for phthalate free hoses, those are the ones to buy. If you're buying yourself a new hose, just try and avoid using the older ones. That's all. What a fascinating discussion we've had today. As I said at the beginning, we don't want people to feel guilty about plastic, although we're taking a moral high ground here. But it is an issue and one that does have to change. Well, that's it for this week's show. For more on today's topic and to read our plastics policy, head to rhs.org.uk forward slash podcast. So until next time, from me, Chris Young, Becky Mealy and Sally Nex, goodbye. I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilise the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine, and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.